Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie. And Marcus Smith. Uh, Marcus, so a little bit of a different episode today. Uh, Similar, actually, to the ones that we've done for Novak Djokovic and for Peng Shua. This is a little bit more about tennis's role in the global landscape of what the hell's going on with the world and current events. Uh, obviously, we are, as of recording, this is March 3rd, 2022. So uh, about five, six days ago, actually it was last week to be exact, uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine and has been you know, waging a war in Ukraine for the past week, uh, you know, a bunch of lives have been lost. Uh, unfortunately, a ton of civilians have been in uh, the crossfire of what's going on, which is really uh, unfortunate and, and just wildly unacceptable. And I think that the sports world and world at large has really been unanimous in their response to Russia's actions. I don't even want to say Russia's actions, it's Putin's actions, uh, which I th- we're going to get into a little bit on this podcast. But uh, to Putin's actions, and that has at least been reassuring in a way, and, and hopefully there is some level of peace that is agreed upon as soon as possible, and, uh, you know, civilians are able to to not be in the crossfire here, because this is obviously a very bad situation. But, um, Marcus, so the reason of why we're going to be discussing this is there's been a lot of talk about this on the tour and what this means. And, and as we've sort of alluded to, as we've spoken about, not alluded to, uh, Russian tennis players play a very large role in the history of tennis and in the game of tennis right now. For example, the world number one, as of literally last week, is Daniil Medvedev, who is a Russian tennis player, multiple-time Grand Slam champion, Victoria Azarenka on the women's side is a Belarusian ten- tennis player. Um, you know, these two countries have a very large presence in the game of tennis, uh, ha- have had a, had a big presence and will continue to have a big presence. So with that being said, the tennis federations, all of them, ATP, ITF, WTA, have come out with the following statement regarding Russia, which is that the WTA and ATP have suspended um, their combined event scheduled in October in Moscow. The ITF board has made the decision to suspend the Russian Tennis Federation and Belarusian Tennis Federation, uh, their membership from the ITF, and withdraw their entries from all ITF international competitions, which is the Davis Cup, effectively. And at this time, Russian and Belarusian tennis players will continue to be able to compete on tennis tour events and the Grand Slams. However, they will not be able to compete under the flag of Russia or Belarus, and their anthems will not be heard at any of the events going forward. So, Marcus, that's the scene. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your thoughts on this response? Um, I, I think it's a necessary response, right? I mean, all the sporting uh, leagues of the world have made sort of a similar response if we compare it to uh, FIFA and UEFA. They've basically cut out Russia um, and, and I, I believe Belarus, but mainly Russia out of all international competition. Uh, all the teams have been eliminated from the Champions League, essentially. Um, so this was necessary. Um, I agree to suspend the WTA and ATP event in Moscow. That needed to be done. Um, to suspend uh, the, the Russian and Belarusian teams from international competition, I believe, is also necessary. The only thing I really don't find that absolutely necessary is to 
ban the Russian and Belarusian players, like ban their flags from the profile page. Um, I'm not really seeing the point in that. I mean, everyone knows that they're Russian or Belarusian. It's not really changing anything. I mean, you don't really see it with any other kind of conflicts that we've had in the past. So I'm not really a big fan of that, but it just doesn't really do much for me. Um, it doesn't really have an impact. I think that, uh, that, that an impact that really needs to be had on this situation. Um, I really applaud uh, Alina Svitolina for uh, taking her stance and being outspoken about what's going on in her country. Um, initially, she refused actually to play against Russian opponents. However, she's reversed that. And I think that's a very strong and brave move from her. Um, I think that, you know, politics and, and sports, they do intertwine, but I think that she re- recognized that this is actually a more kind of honorable move in order to actually still compete against Russian athletes, which she did yesterday. She beat, uh, I believe it was Potova, Popova. Um, yeah, she beat her in straight sets, so great for her. Um, we've heard from Daniil Medvedev and Andrei Blubev, who absolutely do not agree with this war that is currently going on. Most Russian, uh, from what I'm gathering, most Russian athletes and most Russian people don't really agree with this, so this is kind of a.k.a. like Putin's war and his kind of cronies who are looking to do this, so... Uh, it's really unfortunate, I think, to like punish the Russian players by taking away their flag like that. So that that's where I stand. But yeah, it was necessary to cancel some some team events and stuff. Unfortunately, for the players who may or may not agree with Putin in that sense, it's the same with the soccer clubs. You kind of feel for them, but at the same time, we got to make the impact felt. Uh, you know, we got to make them feel our impact internationally from an economic and, and financial standpoint. Yeah, I agree pretty much with uh, everything you said there. I, I think ultimately the goal of these sanctions, whether they be the economic ones or in this case from a sport perspective, are made are being done to make Russia feel as isolated as humanly possible, right? To isolate them from the rest of the world and to say like these actions that are being taken by you know Putin are not acceptable and because they're not acceptable, you are now not allowed on anything relating to the global stage. Um, I have a ton of sympathy for Russian athletes, quite frankly, because they are in a precarious situation in that they have to be very careful about the words that they use due to the danger that they are in. If they do just come out bluntly and say like, oh yeah, I don't like Vladimir Putin, he is not representative of us and he should not be in power, because we've already seen multiple athletes before and quite frankly any enemy of vladimir putin magically get poisoned and die um an example of this if you know our listeners want to google is um artemi panarin who is a player for the new york rangers had a situation where he was a big supporter of vladimir putin's opponent in a russian election and magically uh Artemi Panarin's uh, family went missing for a little bit, and he had to go back to Russia, get them, and bring them to the United States with him, and it was a whole situation. So, yeah, uh, I also echo Marx's statement regarding Alina Svetolina. I think she's the biggest Ukrainian athlete, I mean, I would say in all of sports, quite frankly, but uh, at least in our sport, she's by far the biggest, um, and she's really been at the forefront of making this known, and uh, being a real advocate uh, for uh, awareness about what's going on in Ukraine and how her people are, are faring. Um, I've even seen her on some French news outlets, which I think is really powerful that she's sort of going to Western media outlets and, and being that 
uh, sort of focal point and face uh, of what's going on. That's really important. I'd also like to highlight Sergei Stakovsky, who literally went from his effective retirement in Hungary with his family and signed up for the Ukrainian army where he is he is a Ukrainian tennis player he beat uh was it Roger Federer like in the 2013 Wimbledon second round I think let's see if my tennis recall is that good um but yeah Sergei Stakovsky literally said I have no idea how to fight but this is as good a time of any for me to learn how and he went and he is now in Ukraine, like, ready to defend his homeland. So I think that sort of shows you the um, tenacity and uh, vigor with which uh, the Ukrainians will be defending their homeland. So I also agree with Marcus um, in the sense that I don't know how much the pulling of the flags makes a difference. I think the anthems, that makes sense. Um, not playing the anthems at any events if a Russian tennis player wins or something like that, that that I understand. But I don't know how taking the flag away from Daniil Medvedev really makes a difference. I think we've already seen this play out with the Olympics in terms of the doping scandals and Russia's not allowed to uh, have their flag or their anthem played. They participate as the Russian Olympic Committee or something like that, the ROC with the neutral white uh, Olympic flag, it just doesn't make a difference. Uh, everybody knows that they're Russian, and you know, I don't, I don't really see the point of that, quite frankly. Um, and and nor do I think that that's really fair to those athletes. Um, there's a difference, and I think this is something that everybody needs to realize: is there's a difference between being uh, proud of being Russian and being proud of where you're from and your homeland and being proud of what Vladimir Putin is doing under the guise of Russia. Because I think those are two very independent things that are very different. Um, and I do, I do really feel bad for any of these Russian athletes who probably have their own strong opinions, but just literally cannot express them. They just literally cannot. So uh, I think, you know, if I were magically in charge, I, I think what the eighth i would basically do the same thing outside of take away their flags i think their flags you know that's okay um you know i don't know who we're kidding with that but leave their flags you know it's not going to make that's that's not making a difference in, in the grand scheme of things what what about you marcus is there anything different that you do not really um there's you know taking away tournaments essentially maybe the itf or whoever can take away some funding um, that that's basically about it until further notice until this whole situation is cleared up and you know we can find a better resolution that it is right now unfortunately I don't really see that being a long uh, in the short term or the long term depending on how this goes um, yeah it, it's really it's really tough to say what else the ATP can really do there's only so much power and so many tournaments and you know the WTA also that they have there and, and the ITF for that matter so yeah I think taking away tournaments um Another thing that popped into my mind, Frank, is the effect that this is also going to have on Russian players for the rest of the year in, in regards to visas. For example, I could see the United States banning, you know, I could I could see them banning maybe Russians from entering the United States for a time being or maybe European countries saying uh, we're going to you know do like a short term temporary ban on, on, on Russian and Belarusian folks. 
that could have massive implications, obviously, uh, specifically for someone like a Daniil Medvedev, um, who's the number one in the world right now, trying to chase some history. Who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, and then really all about, you know, it's all about the other tour players too, the guys ranked in the 100s, 200, 300, 400s, who are basically trying to make a living, trying to make it onto the scene. And they can't really, and they can't really speak out about it because of the reasons that you mentioned, Frank, that essentially you have no idea what will happen to your family. Um, it, it's a scary situation. It's, it puts a lot of, it just, it's just a bad situation for everyone involved. It puts a lot of people in some uncomfortable positions, uh, but uncomfortable stances need to be taken in order for this to resolved is a tough word to say, because at this point there's really no resolution, right? There's no like, okay, you know, <laughs> they're just going to like pull out and just let everything be. So yeah, you invaded a country. There's not really much to go back on. It's it, I, I hate, I apologize for laughing, but like there's nothing you can do to go back from this. I mean, this is, this is as bad as it gets, right? So um, you know, I, I, I agree. It's when I, I, I think about, I, I mean, listen, I think about the scenario of Daniil Medvedev comes back to the United States, the U S open 2022, he wins that tournament. You're going to tell me that the U S crowd is going to be particularly like, I mean, he, he has already had, Daniil has already had his like haters on tour and whatever, just from his personality, forget, <laughs> forget anything that's going on now. Right. Daniil Medvedev and any Russian player entering the United States, I cannot imagine is going to have a good time. They just won't, right? They're going to be booed off the court the second that they, they step on it. And that I don't, I don't think that's fair, right? Uh, you know, especially like somebody like Andre Rublev, for example, like literally the second this came out, wrote famously on the, on the camera and, uh, you know, no more war. So, which is which is probably about as, uh, you know, out there as he can get when it comes to this without again risking the lives of everyone around him. So, it's just tough. Uh, it's it's really really tough, uh, and there's not there's not really anything that we can sort of add here that's that's gonna uh, make too much of a difference. But you know, sport is one of those really unique things. Um, if not re- like the core thing that unites people and makes people see past any sort of disaster that's going on. So hopefully sport is able to do that. And, and there's a peaceful resolution to what is going on in Ukraine. And yeah, that's, I think that's all I got to say about it. So. Yeah. The only other really question is that I kind of have is like, how is this going to end kind of long-term for Belarusian and Russian tennis as far as you know funding and then their future players I mean it remains to be seen what happens with these economic and financial sanctions Um, because I mean again as you mentioned Belarus and and Russia are famous for their tennis players they're powerhouses both of them are powerhouse Russia is is the tennis powerhouse on the men's side currently I think that's inarguable yeah so I don't know how it's going to end out long term we got to wait for this whole thing to shake out but as it currently stands not a good situation um, for any Russian player or Belarusian player or Ukrainian player, obviously, on tour, right? If you're a Ukrainian player, you have no idea what's going to happen. I remember um, that, you know, I, I played against a guy in college who I had, you know, great respect for. He's from the Ukraine. Um, been meaning to check in with him, and I think I will now just check in to see how he's doing. So it's a scary situation, folks. Um, and uh, we're going to obviously monitor it, as everyone is. 
but yeah, we just felt like we should share our thoughts on this, and uh, I'm glad we did. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Breakpoint Podcast 7, Gmail, Breakpoint Podcast 7 at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on the situation. And uh, yeah, until next time. Yeah, and be sure to send us a carrier pigeon, as always, to the Broadway Long Island Railroad Station. Uh, we will catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening, and uh, Slava Ukraina. Slava Ukraina.